Bibles this morning to the New Testament book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. We're studying through that book, verse by verse and chapter by chapter. We're in chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 1 through 24 as our text. The topic, James and Peter are persecuted for their witness of Jesus Christ by King Herod just prior to his being eaten by worms. The title of our message, The Worms Go In, The Worms Go Out. Acts chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised them up, saying, Arise quickly! And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself, tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him. And he did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. When, he, uh, when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, you're beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it is his angel. Now Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Then as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord, and having made Blastus the king's personal aide, their friend, they asked for peace, because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, The voice of a god and not of a man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God grew and multiplied. Let's pray together. Lord, remind us this morning that James and John and Peter are 
ordinary believers like us who you filled and empowered to be your witnesses and give a testimony like us. Though our lives may not be as exciting as some of the things that we read about, they are nevertheless in your hands. We want to obey you and walk with you and do the things that you've asked us to do in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, if there's any here this morning that are not believers, they're here and they've never given their lives to Jesus Christ to save them, I pray that they would pay special attention to Herod Agrippa, that they would understand that his end is the end of all men who reject your free offer of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Guide and direct our thoughts and understandings through this passage. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. James was captured, mercilessly killed. Peter was captured and miraculously freed. It's a classic example of something God allows that causes us to ask why. The truth is we are always asking why. The things God allows to happen to his people baffle us. I think that at least part of the answer to the whys of God can be found in this episode. But we need to expand our thinking beyond just James and Peter. We need to see the third apostle, John, was named, and that a non-believer, King Herod, also plays a prominent role. We struggle with why one man's testimony seems to be cut short by death, when in fact it is just what God wants from him. Then he goes home to heaven. Instead of feeling sorry for James, we should envy him because he preceded Peter by years and John by decades to the place Jesus Christ was preparing for him. And then there was King Herod. He's a non-believer who rejected the witness of Jesus Christ through all of these men and the rest of the Christians. His earthly end of being eaten by worms was terrible and it also foreshadowed his eternal destiny. This episode should encourage you in your Christian witness. You are on the witness stand until God is through using your testimony to bring himself glory. Then you go home to the place being prepared for you. It can seem more like witness persecution than witness protection when you're going through it, but it is all to the glory of God. I'll organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, you are a fearless witness regardless what non-believers can do to you. And number two, your witness to non-believers should render them fearful of what God can do to them. And so first of all, number one, in verses one through 17, let's look at your fearless witness. James, Peter, and John, three of the original apostles, they are several times mentioned together in the Gospels. They formed a kind of inner circle in that they were often closest to the Lord at times of ministry. Thus, we are looking at how Jesus works in and through the lives of beloved followers. The length of their earthly witness runs the gamut, and that's why I wanted to look at all three of these guys together. James witnessed for Jesus only about a decade before being killed by King Herod. The events of this chapter are about 10 years into the church age. Peter would go on witnessing for several more decades before being captured by Caesar Nero and martyred. 
John would witness into old age until exiled on the island of Patmos. After being released from exile, he would return to Ephesus, where tradition tells us he died of natural causes around 98 A.D. at nearly 100 years of age. The more I advance in age, the more I envy James rather than John. Your perspective changes. I used to read this and I think, oh, you know, why did James have to die so young? And now I think, why did Peter and John have to live so long? Because you, uh, you know, a lot of times I look at people and they're, you know, they're, and, and I hope you'll receive this well in, in their life or in their ministry. And, and I think to myself, that person is going to be much more uh, usable for the Lord when they've suffered a little bit when they've experienced some of what the Lord has for them and they can sympathize and empathize and all of that. And the longer you live, the more things that you see that you wish you didn't see, the more things you experience in that category as well. And you start to think, uh, Lord, uh, you know, let's go. Let's get this thing on. And so we shouldn't think it's strange at all that God uses each of us differently to bring him glory. That's just a, an earthly way of thinking. We like to compare people like James and John and Peter. When we do, we do it from an earthly standpoint. If you're going to compare, compare from a heavenly vantage point, and it'll turn your thinking around. And so in verse 1, now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, which probably means he was beheaded. Uh, it, it, that's how they killed you with the sword in those days. It's hard to keep track of all the Herods in the New Testament. This one is Herod Agrippa I. He's the nephew of Herod Antipas, who was the guy who murdered John the Baptist. Herod Agrippa I was also the grandson of Herod the Great. He was the Herod in power when Jesus was born who ordered the murder of the infants. And so uh, murder is the legacy of uh, the Herod dynasty. He was called king because he was the first Herod in some time to rule over all of the Jewish Holy Land. As a Roman ruler, he was charged with keeping the peace in his region, or what they called the Pax Romana. Keeping the Pax Romana involved pleasing the leaders of his subjects so that they didn't rise up against Rome. And he determined that it would please them to harass the Christians. And so he stretched out Rome's power to do that. Why James? Well, we don't know the earthly circumstances that made James the target. But from heaven's perspective, his time on the witness stand was done and the Lord was taking him home. And so in verse 3, because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now, it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Historians say it was Passover in A.D. 44. Associated with the celebration of Passover was the feast or the days of unleavened bread. It was a week during which the Jews would search through their houses to rid it of all leaven. It was in accordance with the ritual law of Moses. Leaven pictured sin, and the search for leaven was to remind the chosen people that they were to put sin out of their lives and be holy to the Lord. 
While going through this outward ritual, their hearts, you see, were filled with the leaven of sin because they desired the persecution of Christians and the murder of the apostles. And so every day for that week-long period after celebrating the Passover, while they were searching for leaven, they were looking forward to the end of that feast so that Peter could come out and have his head chopped off by Herod. It's a tremendous uh, illustration of the difference between religion and relationship, between ritual and reality. Peter had been imprisoned before only to be miraculously released. To ensure he would not escape again, 16 Roman soldiers were assigned to guard him. This is where your tax dollars were going at the time. Two of them were chained to him night and day. He was deep in the center of the prison. There was no way he could be any more secure. There was nothing more that they could do to hold him in prison. And after all, he's a, uh, he's a fisherman turned itinerant preacher who is really no danger to anyone. Uh, and so if, if the word overkill uh, kind of comes in here, but Herod was intent. Uh, perhaps the Jews had told him that he had, you know, been released from prison once before under weird circumstances, and so he wanted to make sure that his prisoner stayed put. In verse 5, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Now, this caused me to wonder, did the church pray for James? I think they did. Of course they did. They were a praying people. No one thought, ah, should have prayed for that guy. I mean, they, they immediately went to pray. Did God answer their prayer? Of course he did. He said no. That is assuming they were asking for James to be released. It was James' time. His witness was through. God was going to use it one more time, his witness, to Herod uh, to show him what it was like to be a Christian. We don't have this in the text. I'm speculating now, but I think you'd agree with me that James probably died just the way Stephen died, just the way the first martyr of the church died. You can't imagine anything else but just the glory of God, the, probably his countenance shining with that glory, still giving a testimony of his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When people die like that, it has an effect on people. It's a witness. It's a testimony. And so God said, James, you're going to give me a, uh, you're going to be my witness. Great. You're going to get imprisoned and your head chopped off. Great. Lord, let's do it. And so Peter chained in the prison. I think the real insight here, a uh, couple of things. First, he mentions they were praying because at the end of the chapter, Peter goes to a prayer meeting. He knew they would be praying, and so he immediately goes to where they'd be praying. And I also think that there's a comparison here of contrasts uh, because while the church was praying in their house, the Jews, who were still following their ritual religion, were just sweeping their houses looking for leaven, thinking it made them spiritual. So many people are going through the motions of religion and ritual, patting themselves on the back when in their heart there is this wickedness. And there, there comes that time in your life, if you're an adult above the age of reasoning and you've never received the Lord, when God will show you the wickedness of your heart and you can understand that there is nothing you could ever do because it is so deep within, no amount of sweeping your house looking for yeast 
is going to deal with what is deep inside of your heart. And so that's the comparison. Jews who remained in the law of Moses, sweeping their houses, looking for leaven while being filled with hate and murder. Christians who were Jews, filling their houses with praise to the glory of God. I know which group I'd want to be a part of. In verse 6, and when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Peter slept a lot. He was one of those guys I can relate to because I, you know, I sit down on the couch and I'm just, you know, I want to stay up. I really do. And then I just start to doze off, just like my dad. I used to make fun of my dad. I used to laugh at him. Oh, man, you know, couldn't stay up. My mom would just, you know, it was okay that he was sleeping in his easy chair, but he would snore so loud you couldn't watch television. So my mom would shake him and, I'm not sleeping. Well, you were snoring. And then he'd always blame it on the air conditioner. (laughs) He'd always say his chair was under the vent and somehow there was, I don't know if he meant that there was gases coming through there, you know, radon or something, I don't know. It's one of those things I swore I'd never do. Now, every night, honey, you're sleeping. No, I'm not. And if I'm in a good mood when I wake up, I say, it's the air conditioner, honey. It's... <laughs> and so, but Peter, he slept a lot. You might recall that he fell asleep on the Mount of Transfiguration while Jesus was talking to Moses and Elijah. He fell asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane even after Jesus urged him to stay awake and pray. However, this sleeping in prison is different. It was a sleep of rest and peace, and it was exactly what he ought to be doing on the night before he was to be executed. Peter knew that either God would deliver him from prison and execution, or God would deliver him the next day through it and take him home. Nothing to be done about it. He knew others would be praying for him. I think it's interesting. He wasn't even praying. He just committed his heart to the Lord, committed his life to the Lord. He'd seen James, his companion, uh, die, and he thought, Lord, whatever you have for me, I submit to it. I might as well get some rest because one way or the other, I'm going to need my strength. And so he's peacefully asleep, so much so that he thinks he's dreaming when in verse 7, an angel of the Lord stood by him and a light shone in the prison trying to get Peter's attention. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him. The light didn't do it, you know. So I'm, a, I'm a, also a very sound sleeper. Uh, lots of things happen in my house at night that I don't know about and, and uh, just pretty crazy. And so the light goes on. He's still asleep. And so the angel hits him on the side and picks him up and says, get up. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. Peter's not getting the picture. He won't wake up. He gets up. He's kind of standing there. Maybe, maybe he's not a morning person. I mean, some of you are like this. You're kind of groggy first thing, you know. You just, you, at night before you go to bed, you clear a path to the coffee pot because you know if there's anything in the way, you're going to fall over it. And so he tells him, get up, get your clothes on, Put your, tie your sandals. And he did. And then he finally says, would you put on your garment and follow me? So Peter, he's like, okay, okay. And finally, he's ready to go. And so he went out and I guess he doesn't know it's a a prison break or something, you know. (laughs) He'd never been to one before, you think. And so he went out and followed him. 
didn't know what was done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. So now he's kind of rubbed his eyes a little bit, and he thinks, wow, this is a fantastic vision. Maybe God is going to deliver me from prison. I'll just kind of hang out with, I like this vision. I'm just going to hang out with that. And then when they were past the first and second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city. It opened to them of its own accord, They went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. Now, before we get back to Peter, I like to point out that angels always seem to be in a big hurry. (laughs) Seriously. I think their motto must be, get her done. (laughs) That's the angel motto. Well, you know, all branches of the military, everybody has a motto. And I can see these angels, you know, hanging around in their ready room, getting their daily assignment, and up on the wall, get her done, you know, (laughs) right above the picture of Michael and Gabriel, you know, whose names made it into the Bible. And and so, you know, they they want to excel in their serving of the Lord. But Being perfect in their service, maybe we should take a page out of their book. If God gives you something to do, get it done. I mean, go for it and do it in a hurry. Now, you don't have to hurry through things if you're ministering to people, but go for it and get to it and get it done. Verse 11, when Peter had come to himself, he said, hey, I know now that the Lord has sent his angel. He's delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. Now, who's he talking to, by the way? This is really, this is, this would be a comedy episode of the book of Acts, even with the, you know, the, the, the people who die. I mean, this is just funny. Peter's like, he, he can't get dressed fast enough. The angel's hitting him. He's dragging him out of prison. And the angel goes and Peter says, now I know that. I mean, he's, who's he talking to? Shut up. <laughs> You're going to get caught. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she didn't open the gate. She ran in and announced that Peter was before the gate. They said to her, you're beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it's his angel. Okay, this is just funny. I mean, it really is. This is meant to be funny. It's an example of humor in the Bible. Luke hasn't written anything funny in a few chapters, and so he throws this little story in here. Why did they say it is his angel? I'm told that the Jews believed every person had a guardian angel, which may be true, but they also came to speculate that your angel looked and sounded like you. I guess it's like when you get a pet. And you start to look like your dog or so. I mean, it seems weird, but I mean, I don't know where you get that. You can, you can kind of prove from Scripture that everybody has a guardian angel, but you can't really prove that your angel looks like you. And I hope that's not true for the sake of many angelic beings. In fact, I can't imagine, I can't imagine my angel looking like me and still being beautiful in heaven. I mean, what happened to you? I got assigned to Pastor Gene. So anyway, uh, now, and a second thought, if they really thought it was an angel, why did they leave him standing out knocking at the door? Oh, that's just an angel. (laughs) 
if he, if he wants to come in, he knows the way. He'll just appear. You just let him know. Hey, I'll tell you what I know about angels from the Old Testament. And these were Jews steeped in Old Testament tradition. You don't leave angels knocking outside your door. I mean, this is serious stuff. Whatever they came to do, they're going to do. And then they're going to strike you mute and dumb and blind at the same time. I mean, so this is just crazy. So what are they doing? I think they were just treating Rhoda as a little child. They were acting like she had heard Peter's guardian angel in her imagination. Oh, isn't that cute? Look at Rhoda. Here we are praying, and she has, she has such little faith in God, and, and she thinks that she hears Peter standing at the door because she believes that God will answer our prayers. That's cute, but honey, you're acting a little crazy right now, and could you be quiet so that we can get back to praying, basically? It's <laughs> a typical scene that could be played out in any home. Now, Peter continued knocking, Uh, with probably a little bit more fervor, I would guess. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. So at some point, they realized somebody was knocking at the door, and they went out there, and sure enough, it was Peter. If they were praying for Peter to be miraculously released, they got what they prayed for, but were astonished at it. And this really, I think, is just what prayer is in my life. I believe that God answers prayer, And then when he does, I find it unbelievable that he did it. Uh, You know, it's just amazing. And so, uh, you know, people who want to say that you get whatever you pray for or that you speak it into existence or all of this crazy Christian heresy, I mean, these people were praying, praying fervently. And when they got the answer to their prayer, uh, they were blown away that Peter could actually be standing there. And so verse 17, motioning to them with his hand to keep silent. Again, I, I, you have to picture these scenes. They're just hilarious. The Jewish culture, a very loud culture. Some of you come from a rather soft culture. You don't raise your voice at home. Honey, honey, could you get me a drink? Sure, I'd be happy to. And, and everything's kind of here. Many of you come from a more realistic culture. <laughs> Italian, you know, Portuguese, you know, those kinds of things. You're very loud. The Jews, I think, are very loud, boisterous people. And I can see, this is what happened. You know, Peter's knocking on the door. He's a fugitive. He's an escaped fugitive. Guards are walking around. No one answers the door. Finally, the door opens. Ah! It's Peter! Wow! Everybody's screaming, doing a little Hava Nagila kind of a thing, you know? Peter's like, shh, shh. I just escaped from prison. Would you shut up already? It's bad enough I was talking to myself out in the street. I'm starting to get this thing now. And so he says, go tell these things to James and to the brethren, and then he departs and goes to another place. This James is the Lord's brother, who evidently by this time was the prominent leader of the church at Jerusalem. And Peter said, go spread the word of my release. You and I might, ha- uh, might not have quite as exciting a story to tell, but you and I ought to be able to spread the word about how Jesus is working in our lives. We are his witnesses. We do have a testimony. We don't need to be embarrassed about it or think that it's second rate. Scholars think Peter may have headed to Antioch to hide out and hang out with the church there. There's some clues to that later on in the New Testament. We will only see Peter one more time in the book of Acts. He'll give his testimony at a meeting of the church in Jerusalem. And uh, 
From a historic point of view, he'll go on to minister for a time. He'll write his two letters. He'll give Mark the details for the gospel of Mark. Tradition tells us he was then martyred by being crucified, but he was crucified upside down at his own request. He didn't think himself worthy to die in the same manner as Jesus. James, Peter, and John, beloved of the Lord, saved, empowered to witness, one witnessed only about a decade, one a few decades, one many decades, two were martyred, one was not. God masterfully used their testimony as he saw best. He is under no obligation to explain why, from an earthly vantage point, we are tempted to envy John, but from heaven's viewpoint, we would envy James. You are just as beloved, just as saved, and can be just as empowered. Your life is God's witness. He will use your testimony to bring himself glory. Men might persecute you, but you are fearless and can rest as you await the earthly end of your time on the witness stand. You know, a lot of times we watch, you know, a court TV and we see trials on television. And some witnesses, uh, they, they only ask him one question. They're only there to answer one question. They get on the stand, swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth or help you, God, yes. Did you see this? Yes. Dismissed. Any questions? No, I have no questions. Other people give their testimony for days and days and days. It's, it's really up to the situation. So God looks at us and he thinks, this is the te- you're, you're my witness and this is the testimony that I want you to give with your life. And when that testimony ends, then I'm taking you home. And it's the non-believer who ought to fear. Second thing, verses 18 through 24, your witness to non-believers should render them fearful of what God can do to them. When James, Peter, and John were first selected as apostles, Jesus gave them a little talk. One of the things he said to them was this, Matthew 10, 28, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. This episode with Herod Agrippa I illustrates that principle. Peter was without fear of King Herod. He slept peacefully the night before he was to be headed. It was Herod who ought to have been afraid and very afraid at that. And so in verse 18, as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. But when Herod had searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. He went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. According to the Code of Justinian, if a soldier let a prisoner escape, then he must take the sentence upon himself. At least 16 soldiers lost their lives. I'd like to think some or all of those soldiers trusted Jesus Christ to save them. After all, Peter had almost a week to share with them as they were chained to him on a 24-hour day rotation. Now, seeing God's miracle and facing eternity, it's not too much to hope that they received the Lord. There are stories in Fox's Book of Martyrs, real stories uh, that are historically accurate of Roman soldiers who received Christ even as they were leading Christians away to be killed, only to be martyred alongside of them for their confession of faith. And so, uh, you know, it's pure speculation, but you have to know that Peter, uh, first of all, they were interested in what was going on with Peter. Why? Uh, You know, this is kind of a military or a cop mentality. 
Why are 16 of us guarding a big fisherman who's an itinerant minister? How many people did he kill? Is he a serial killer? I mean, what's the... No, he's a Christian minister. We have to make sure he doesn't escape. He's a political prisoner. This is not good duty. And so you're prone to conversation. You're chained to a guy. You might as well talk to him. Can't imagine Peter being quiet. It's clear he wasn't bummed out. Uh, I mean, you know, this is an opportunity for him to share his faith. And so I have to believe that, it, well, at least the opportunity was there for these guys. And then when you wake up the next morning, when they come for Peter and they come through all these gates and all these soldier stations and finally get to you and you're laying there with chained to nobody except yourself, a mir- and you know that there's no prison break, this was a miracle. Everything that Peter said suddenly becomes more real to you. And so let's hope we see these guys in heaven. Herod got out of town and tried to make the embarrassment go away with work. He had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him in verse 20 with one accord and having made Blastus, that's not a name you want for your kids, uh, the king's personal aide, their friend, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. This is everyday garden variety political stuff as far as Herod was concerned. Little did he know it was the event that would lead to his death and the end of his opportunity to trust Christ as his Savior because of the witness and testimony of these men he was harassing. And so on a set day in verse 21, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not a man. And then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God and he was eaten by worms and he died. Josephus is a first century Jewish historian that Bible scholars Sight uh, every now and then. His writings are not inspired. You can't believe that they are 100% accurate, but it's interesting to read his take on certain events in the Bible. Josephus describes Herod as wearing a fantastic garment woven with threads of silver, and there he would be glistening in the sun as it came over the uh, water of the amphitheater at Caesarea. And the audience begins to flatter him. And both Josephus and the Bible tell us that he received their accolades. What was Herod held accountable for? Was it murdering James? No, it was not giving God the glory that was due him. Josephus then describes Herod dying from what he calls a violent pain in his belly after suffering for five days. Luke, who was a physician, by the way, said he was eaten by worms. Now, Bible scholars have a hard time with this because they're, they're not exactly sure what to make of it. And so they try and say, well, Herod died of some ailment. God struck him dead. And then he was put in the ground and eaten by worms. Uh, flesh-eating worms, I guess, that, you know, or whatever. Uh, I think, you know, Luke is a careful historian. He's a doctor. And I think what Luke says stands. He says, Herod was eaten by worms. And Josephus said it went on for five days. Oh, my. By the way, <laughs> I have to tell you this because it's so fun. Years ago, if you... You know, there's a million diet pills and diet plans and, and uh, years ago, and this is a true story, if you wanted to go on a diet, they had a pill for you. And uh, what it contained was a tapeworm. 
and you would take your pill, you'd get a tapeworm, he'd eat for you. Because you, you lose weight when you're filled with tapeworms. It's just part of the process. And then they would, once you lost your weight, they would give you the pill to kill the tapeworm, and then, hey, you'd be skinny again. And so, uh, now, you think it's gross. I would do it. Uh, I mean, I don't think you can feel the tapeworm. I mean, you know he's in there, but, you know, so what? Uh, it's easier than dieting, and uh, it's quicker. But anyway, they don't do this anymore. This may be why they came up with the FDA in the first place. I don't know, but... Not that everything else we take is any better for us, you know. There's a new, I, I, I don't know what it's called. It's the latest diet thing. And, uh, hey, I'm with you. I need to diet. I'm 20 pounds over it, so I'm not making fun of anybody. But the latest diet pill, uh, in the fine print, they warn you for at least the first few weeks not to be too far from a toilet. Uh, <laughs> And that's one of the side effects is that you're just going all the time and you are like incontinent. You can't hold it. And so, you know, I, that's, is that any grosser than ingesting a worm? No, I don't think so. We just don't look at it that way. But anyway, so Herod is eaten alive from inside by worms in this violent death. Whatever the physical ailment that killed him, there is a spiritual element to it. The word for worms is reminiscent of something you read elsewhere in the Bible. Describing torment in the afterlife for non-believers, Jesus said in the Gospel of Mark, it's where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. The point being made in Acts is that King Herod Agrippa I ought to have been fearful of the witness of James and Peter and the other Christians. He should have, whether he witnessed it himself or heard reports of it, he should have taken the death of James to heart, the way he died and his faith in Jesus Christ. He should have taken the miraculous release of Peter to heart as a witness that God was real and at work in the lives of these men. But instead, he ignored it, got back into his regular day-to-day -day life, and he found that his life didn't go on that much longer. He died, we believe, at about age 54. God used these men, each in a very different way, to warn Herod of the judgment to come should he fail to repent and glorify God. One of them had to die for it. One of them was set free. Both of them gave their testimony. Verse 24, the word of God grew and multiplied. No earthly king can halt the progress of the word of God. No satanic power behind earthly thrones can halt it either. Any, any question we might want to ask like why is answered in verse 24. Why did James have to die? Why was Peter released and not James? For that matter, why does John live until he's almost 100 years old? Because the word of God grew and multiplied the way God used these men and always uses his children and followers as his witnesses giving their testimony. It's to that end. By grew and multiplied, we're to understand that many were added to the church and then they multiplied themselves as they too went about as witnesses. So this morning, if you're a non-believer, you should be very, very fearful. You know, we make fun of and, and, and we deride uh, fire and brimstone kind of preaching where people are being warned. Well, 
you have to understand that your soul and its destiny are at stake. You don't know if you have even today, let alone tomorrow. Herod was 54 years old, very young man. Now that I'm 52, and uh, just in the prime of his life, you know, so I'm still two years away from my prime, just starting to hit my stride. And uh, just, he'd, he'd, just doing his daily job, putting on his Gucci suit, you know, and going out and giving orations and making peace between the people and freeing up the food and all that. And God said, this is it. This is the day. Today your life is, is over. It's required of you. I've given you all the witness, all the witnesses and all the testimony you're ever going to get. And today it's over. And the longer you live, the more people you know like that, their life ends suddenly and abruptly. And um, if you're that person, if you're not a believer this morning, you need a little hellfire and brimstone preaching. You really do. And, and you know, it, it, if and since what we believe is absolutely the truth, how can we not warn people? How could we not warn them of the danger to come? Believer, you can be fearless. In terms of your time on earth as a believer, you may be a James or a Peter or a John. You might have a short life, you might have a, what we would consider a regular life, or you might go on to a ripe old age, barring the return of the Lord for us all. It doesn't really matter in the long run. You're to see yourself as someone on the witness stand giving your testimony until Jesus dismisses you, and when he does, he takes you home. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for the witnesses that have gone before us. We are thankful that their lives are not cookie cutter, that each of them uh, gave testimony in a unique and special way. We want to be witnesses who give our testimony, Lord. We don't think that it has a lot of weight or that it carries much merit, uh, but we're in a place, Lord, where we live and work and, and uh, recreate where there are certain people there, Lord, and, and we're the, we are their James, we are their Peter, we are their John. Uh, and I pray that we would just become more and more natural about sharing Christ, that we would be more and more supernaturally empowered to do it, uh, that it would just flow from us and through us, Lord. So we don't know who has a tomorrow and who doesn't. Uh, I pray for myself, Lord, that you give me a boldness uh, for all those here who are believers. And Lord, if there's any non-believers here, that they would rush to be saved, knowing your love and grace and mercy towards them. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer, you want to give your life to Jesus Christ or learn more about that, come forward and let one of the guys describe that to you and pray for you. You can start coming forward even now as I'm closing and during the closing song. Maybe you're a Christian and you desire prayer this morning. You're backslidden. God's brought you back to him and you want to have a point of contact where you, you know, uh, confess your sins one to another as it were. Maybe you're here this morning, you want more of the Lord's power in your life. You want that baptism with the Holy Spirit. Come forward and let the guys pray for you. Maybe they've prayed for you in the past and you want to share a praise report. Whatever you need, uh, we want to make that spiritual connection in prayer. The rest of you, every week I exhort you, find somebody you don't recognize and at least introduce yourself to them. Tell them who you are uh, and uh, who knows. 
but that might be the most life-changing moment for uh, both of them. You don't know, and if, if not, it's courteous, it's loving. It shows the fellowship of the Lord and of his saints. May God bless you, may God keep you, in Jesus' name, amen.